Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thoughts While I Drive to Work. Okay, before we get into what our um, episode is about today, I did want to give you just kind of a promo heads up. If you guys enjoy the true crime stories that uh, Mrs. Drive to Work, Monica Dent, tells on our, you know, 10th episodes, on our 50th episode, 60th episode, 70th episode, and soon to be our 80th episode, if you enjoy those true crime stories, um, she has recently started her own Patreon. Um, little do you guys know that when she tells the true, those true crime stories, she has researched all of those, uh, put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. And what's most cool is that she has actually hand-typed on her 1960s Smith Corona typewriter up those true crime stories in her own words after all the research she's done. And then she reads them on the show. So, if you enjoy those true crime stories, she started a Patreon. It is called The Rhetoric of Mythos. If you enjoy it, then she is offering now, um, depending on the level on Patreon that you choose from, she will send you, in the mail, a hand-typed copy of a true crime story. You can sign up for one time a month or two times a month. Um, they come in nondescript, mysterious envelopes. I'll leave that up to you to figure out what that means. Um, it's a way of supporting my family, also supporting the show. Um, if you guys like true crime, anybody can listen to true crime, but who gets hand-typed on a typewriter, um, you know, that's over 70 year olds, 70 years old true crime story sent to them? Well, could be you. And as a special promotion... For the show and to promote um, the new launch of the wife's true crime typewriting business, um, we're doing a promotion that the fifth person to send me an email question, thoughts while I drive to work at gmail.com, all one word, no spaces, no caps. The fifth person to send me a question will receive their first true crime story in the mail for absolutely for free. So, with that being said, please, along with your question, um, give me your mailing address and, uh, I'll announce the winner on the show. Um, so hopefully you guys send me, send me an email with a question to answer or something you'd like me to talk about, or, you know, maybe even a passage of scripture you have a hard time interpreting. I'd love to help you out with that. So without further ado, um, today we are going to be in Mark chapter nine verses 43 through about 50. And this is just a passage of scripture that there's a few things in there that are sometimes misinterpreted. Um, there's one verse in there that is apparently considered one of the hardest verses in the Bible to interpret. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at what it really means and how do it applies to us. So let's go ahead and keep going here. Mark chapter 9 verses 42 through 50 says, sorry, verses 43 through 50. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where, their worm does not, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. And salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? 
Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm a big fan of the method of inductive Bible study known as hermeneutical Bible study. And there are three main rules with hermeneutics. The first is context, context, context. You always have to read things in context. Um, the second is always interpret scripture with scripture. We're not going to interpret it with anything else. We're not going to interpret it um, with any outlying sources. We're going to interpret God's word with God's word. And the third is we're going to use the literal term, unless given a good reason otherwise. And this is one of those cases that the third rule really comes into play. There are many people out there that, you know, just Google online. And you'll find horror stories of people that have taken this literally. When it says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And with that being said, when I was working in the ER, oh, probably about seven, eight years ago, um, we got a call that the ambulance was bringing in a pretty bad trauma. And on the trauma, they wheel the guy in, and he had completely severed one of his hands, and the other one was halfway severed. And the man was out of his mind, and he just kept yelling and screaming, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. His hand is completely gone. Uh, the paramedics had it with him. Uh, one of them actually handed it to me. Haha, <laughs> uh, no pun intended there. Um, completely severed his arm, his hand, and almost severed the other one. Um, long story short, we come to find out later that the man had actually inflicted those wounds upon himself. He had completely cut his one hand off with a bandsaw, and I had almost cut the other one off. Um, before his roommate got home and fixed, saw what he had done and called 911. While well, apparently with him screaming that the devil had made him do it, um, he quite literally had actually meant that there were voices in his head that was telling him to harm his children. And it had gotten to the point where he didn't think he could say no to them anymore. He didn't think that he could resist the voices that were telling him to harm his children. So... In an effort not to harm them, he cut off his own hands. Well, hand, and then attempted to cut off the other one. Um, so here's another case of, again, I'm not sure if he had read this section of scripture. I'm not sure if this was directly related. But here we have a case of somebody that quite possibly had read this section of scripture and had taken it literally. Now, folks just for transparency's sake, this section of scripture is not to be taken literally. Um, because one of the reasons that you can break the third rule of hermeneutics, again, I'll use a little term, let's give a good reason otherwise, is if it breaks God's laws. And it is always against God's law to harm yourself. God does not want you to mutilate yourself. God does not want you to harm yourself. God does not want you to kill yourself. So it breaks God's law. Um, of, of life, basically. So, no, we're not going to take it literally. So how do we take it? Going back to verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell. So first we need to interpret what it means. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So really here we are talking about sin. Um, and what he's saying here is you need to cut things out of your life that cause you to sin. Um, and the second thing is, for it is better for you to enter life crippled than to go to hell 
with two hands to the unquenchable fire. So it's better to enter life crippled. So you need to understand that this life that we're in isn't the life he's talking about. He's talking about eternal life. It's better to enter eternal life crippled than to be thrown into hell whole with both your hands where to the unquenchable fire. So we don't, again, this is where we get tripped up, the fact that we think that this life is everything. It's not. This life is temporary. It is very temporary in the grand whole scheme of things. And when he says if your hand causes you to sin, we can easily put that into something else. If your phone causes you to sin, cut it out of your life. It's better for you to go to heaven having not owned um, a smartphone than because you did own a smartphone and it caused you to sin repeatedly for you to be thrown into hell, into the unquenchable fire forever. Does that make more sense now? It's talking about things that cause you to sin. Um, because is anything in this life worth eternal damnation and punishment in the next? The answer should should be no. Um, because again, it is very, very specific here. That this is not eternal life. Eternal life is in heaven. It is better for you to enter life crippled, better for you to enter heaven crippled, than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and to be thrown into hell. Same thing. He's not talking about cutting off your foot. If there is something, though, that is causing you to sin, your phone is just a really easy one. But I think we all have, like, enabling things, things that enable us to sin, maybe things that make it easier for us to sin. And those are the things we're talking about here. If there are stumbling blocks in your life, that are causing you to sin, cut them out of your life. Nothing in this life is worth going to hell for the unquenchable fire for all eternity. It's not, I mean, like, that really should be a no-brainer. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Okay, again, what are these things that are causing us to sin? You know, there are a lot of times where people will just be like, you need more willpower. If you had willpower, you know, you could do anything and it wouldn't cause you to sin. Well, we're not made that way. I'm sorry. Sin and temptation is, is something that the devil and demons have been perfecting since the dawn of time, since the fall of man. So, like the Bible says, whatever sin you're struggling with is not uncommon to man. So, with that being said, your willpower all by itself, without God's help, without God's wisdom, is not going to be enough to overcome an enemy that is purposely hell-bent, pun intended, on destroying you and leading you down a road away from God's plan. And he has perfected this technique over thousands of years. So that being said, your he-man grunt willpower, it really isn't going to cut it. That's why God gives us some useful pieces of advice here. You know, it's Karate Kid 2. Anybody seen Karate Kid 2? Mr. Miyagi's there and he's telling um, daniel son. He tells daniel son, what is the, or what's the, the, uh, the easiest way not to get punched? And daniel son says all these like fancy things. And Mr. Miyagi says no. Don't be there when fight starts. There's a lot of wisdom in that. 
If something is causing you to sin, just get rid of it. Just don't go there. If there's a place, specifically a place, that you are more tempted in, just don't go there. If there's an internet site, that maybe maybe it's not a bad site in of itself, but maybe like it has things on it that um, lead you to want to look at other things. Just don't go there. I'm a big proprietor right now, and I'll full-on tell you that Facebook video and Facebook reels, you have to be very careful. Those are just gateways to porn. They just are. Straight up. We're going to talk about that more in next week's podcast, but hear me when I say this, and I say this with love. Facebook video, Instagram, um, Facebook reels, all those things are literally just gateways to porn. They are. 100%. Um, And if you don't believe that, you should talk to someone who does struggle with that. If you don't, I'm willing to bet 100% of them will agree with me. Okay. So, just don't go. Don't feed that sin. Don't be the one to initiate it. Cut it off at the source, right at the root. If you can identify the problem areas, then just don't fulfill them and it'll be easier for you to succeed. It's better for you to go into heaven having not, you know, having deprived yourself of one stupid little thing that in this life literally didn't mean anything than to go to hell because of it forever. This is all material stuff. It doesn't really matter. Who are you serving? What are your intentions? Why do you do things? It should be for the glory of God. It shouldn't be for status or you know to to impress others you got to look at your priorities why are you doing things and then everything else kind of comes into play there um a little bit more it can at least it can help out look at your priorities what's stopping you from fulfilling what should be your priorities and then attack those things cut them out of your life you know this isn't to say there's going to be a lot of one-eyed, one-legged dudes up in heaven. There's, there's not. We're going to be, we're going to have um, whole, perfected bodies. But there's going to be a lot of people that have cut sin out of their lives, and that's what's exciting. Um, before we move on in the scripture, we are going to jump over and read John twelve, verses uh, twenty-five and twenty-six. John twelve verses twenty-five and. Um, Sorry, no. Yeah, no, 25 and 26 says, Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, and my Father will honor anyone who serves me. So this again is saying, don't get caught up in the things of this world. They don't last. And they lead. This, This life is so short. This world is so short. And being caught up in these things leads to being caught up forever. Losing your life. Verse 25, those who love their life in this world will lose it. What are your priorities? Get them straight. Do you love this life and this sin that it offers so much that you're going to lose your eternal life? Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. End of verse 25. You know, you don't have to have the newest, latest, and greatest thing. You don't have to. 
you know, have the new phone, new video games. You don't have to go out to eat all the time. You don't have to have the biggest house. You don't have to have the newest clothes. What you have to do, man of God, is raise your children to love the Lord, is to sanctify spiritually lead your wife, and to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. That is what you have to do. That and jujitsu, you should do that too. Because it, in here, it's not talking about people. Let me rephrase. We're talking about cutting things out of your life that cause you to sin. And these are things. We're not talking about cutting people out of your life. Now, there are probably people in your life that may be, that you may need to cut out of your life that cause you to sin. But that's not to say we still shouldn't evangelize to people who need Jesus. Because people are what matter in this life. Not the things I just listed. People are what matters. Because we're all God's children. We're all God's children. And He wants all of us to come to know Him. To be forgiven. To spend eternity with Him. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what people will think of you when you evangelize. It doesn't matter what what, um, they will say about you. Who cares what they'll say about you? I care about what God will say about me when I stand before Him. That's what I care about. I don't care about what anyone else thinks. If God is for me, who can stand against me? What are they going to do? I don't care. And if, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Verse 48. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, the other thing that this... The other thing that this section of scripture really shows, and again, this is me poking fun at what I like to call fluffy Christians, is that hell is very real. You know, there are lots of people that, you know, are perfectly fine. Christians are perfectly fine acknowledging the existence of angels, of God, of heaven. But if you start talking about hell as a real place, or about demonic influence, or about the devil, Um, about all these things being directly involved in your life also, they can't believe it. Or they don't want to talk about it. It's too scary. It's too real. They don't want to talk about that. Hell is a real place. Demons are real. Demons are fallen angels. So if you believe in angels, demons are fallen angels. You can't not. The devil is real. And he is trying to devour you. He is a hungry lion roaming back and forth, trying, seeing who he may devour. I'll give you the scripture reference to that, but I don't have the top of my head. I didn't plan on saying it. It just came out. These things are are real. They are as real as heaven is a real place. They are as real as angels are real. They are as real as our Lord and Savior, who can save us from all of it. So we can acknowledge it and be fine. Because it doesn't matter. Because if you are saved in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you've asked for that forgiveness of your sins, and you've accepted His gift, His free gift of salvation, then acknowledging these other things aren't scary. They don't matter. Because you're saved. The devil can't touch you. Demons can tempt you. But you can laugh it off. You know, that's why we have verses and sections of scripture like we have right here that are advice to the saved person on how to laugh off temptation. 
right there. But what this really emphasizes is that hell is a real place, you know, and it, it um, describes it here in several ways. Let's see. Verse 43 calls it the unquenchable fire. Um, verse 45, to be thrown into hell. When I, when I throw you into something, it's a pit. I don't throw you into just ground. No, hell is a pit. It is a hole that you are thrown into and you will never get out with unquenchable fire. Meaning that the fire never stops burning, never goes out, never gets any less. And guess what the fuel is? It's you. And you don't ever, when it says unquenchable fire, that means, and if the fuel is you, that means you don't ever burn up. But you're always on fire. Forever. In a pit. In darkness. Alone. Separated from God. And it gets worse. Verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, the, where the worm does not die, that can be interpreted a million different ways. Um, again, we talked about the fire not being quenched, meaning it will never stop. The worm will not die. That, that can be interpreted a million different ways. Some people think it's talking about a literal worm that is in the pit that will be eating you alive. Some people think it's talking about the torment you'll be, um, you'll be subjected to, meaning that it will never be sated or it will never be quenched. Um, where the worm does not die, meaning that it will never be satisfied with your torment. Um, now, for me, again, you have to look at like the theme of this section of Scripture. Not everything in this section of Scripture is taken literally. We already established that so it is also quite possible that when he says the worm does not die he's not talking about a literal worm that is in the pit in hell in the fire eating you alive even though that could quite possibly be something in hell i, I really don't know um so that one up is up to you to interpret but any way you interpret it it's not pleasant do you really think your new iphone that causes you to look at porn and not fulfill your husbandly duties is worth that I would hope the answer would be no should be no <sighs> alright verse 49 or yeah verse 49 and verse 50 now for some reason um, pastors say this is one of the hardest verses to interpret in the bible um, even my study bible had like five different interpretations um, a couple of my different commentators, none of them agreed. I think it's really straightforward. Um, if I'm wrong, shoot me an email. That could be the way that you uh, get in on my wife's drawing. Um, shoot me an email and be like, hey, boy, this is what it really means. You're an idiot. That's fine. So let's read it. For everyone will be salted with fire. And salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Okay, again, we're going to look at the theme. We've been talking about resisting temptation. Like practical ways, practical things you can implement in your life right now of resisting temptation. But there is an even greater 
tool God has given us for resisting temptation, for saying no to the devil and his, his minions. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is often referred to as fire, as a cleansing fire. And so when it says here, for everyone will be salted with fire. When you salt something, it's like you're, you're kind of like shaking it on you, right? Someone shakes a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It says, for everyone is salted with fire. So when you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, when you accept him as your Savior and give your life over to him, you do receive the Holy Spirit. So you would say that this verse doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit because it says, for everyone is salted with fire. Well, even non-Christians talk about what would you call your conscience. Even non-believers say that, you know, there is something that tells you right and wrong. There's something that needles at you when you do something that's bad when you're a kid. And that is the Holy Spirit, even in the unsaved. The Holy Spirit's job is to guide people to Christ. So it would make no sense if they only got him after they were already saved. He wouldn't be able to do his job. Now, he does different things for us after we're saved. But before we're saved, his one and only job is to lead us to Christ. And and he does that by showing us the error of our ways and pointing out sin. So when it says everyone is salted with fire, yes, everyone is salted with the Holy Spirit. You could say, but but fire is bad. It can't be talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, verse 50 literally starts off with, and salt is good. It is good. It is very good. Because again, to be salted with the Holy Spirit is to be endowed with power. To have the Holy Spirit in you is literally to have one of the three Godhead in you helping you resist temptation. As a believer, that's what he's there to do. That's what he is there to do. So, when he talks about these things and ways to resist temptation, he's saying, and then he throws in this verse at the end, these two verses, he's talking about, and don't forget about the gift I have given you, or the gift that he will give, because this is in Mark, of the power of the Holy Spirit that will come in you and help guide you, help you interpret scripture, help you know right from wrong, give you words to speak when you evangelize, all these things the Holy Spirit gives us, but he also helps us resist temptation. Because salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, How will you make it salty again? So again, he's talking about quenching the spirit here. Now, there's a lot of different things you can talk about quenching the spirit. In the unsaved, Romans talks about how they quench the spirit, the unbelievers quench the spirit so much that God gave them over to their debased mind to fulfill their, um, basically their more animal-like needs and pleasures. Um, Basically, they were zombies. Um, Because they had quenched the spirit so much that they were just down to their debased natures and their base needs, not wanting or caring for anyone around them or anything. Um, so he says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're not letting it guide you, then how can you be expected to resist temptation? But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salt salty again? How do you make it salty again? By pursuing Jesus. By trying to be more Christ-like. By trying to fulfill the things that Christ puts in your life that he wants you to do. Again, what are your priorities? Run after Christ and you'll find yourself running away from sin and temptation. 
It's not just enough to try not to be tempted. It's not just enough to put up roadblocks. You need to actively be pursuing God. You can't just put up defense. You need some freaking offense. Offense. Pursue God. Pursue Jesus. Pursue being sanctified and becoming more Christ-like. If salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? By doing these things. He says, have salt in your life and be at peace with one another. So you're supposed to have this salt. You're supposed to have this Holy Spirit in your life to help you. and Be at peace with one another. Don't argue with each other. As believers, be at peace with other believers. There's nothing stupider than when there are um, Christians who are both, you know, um, profess to be saved, born-again Christians who are not at peace with one another. That's the biggest red flag for unbelievers to look at your faith, to look at your witness and be like, huh, why should I believe anything you say when, you know, you can't even get along with people in your own church? What's going on? You know, be at peace with one another. Fulfill what God actually wants you to do. Okay. Well, that's about all we have today. Um, hope you guys appreciated it. Again, this is a super cool um, section of scripture. Very applicable. Um, very applicable. I would you know, encourage you guys, things are made more re- real when you write them down. Write down what are your temptations. Write them down. Make a list. Who cares if you, who else sees it? Who cares what people think of you? Remember, things that uh, matter to you in this life will keep you from the next. Make a list. These are what my temptations are. Then, make a list of things that allow you to pursue those temptations. Physical things. Physical places. Physical items. Physical people. And then, systematically cut out, kill, and destroy those things. With extreme prejudice. Destroy them. And not only do that, not only have a scorched earth mentality, then actively pursue and run after Christ so you can be salty. <laughs> okay, guys. I love you. Hopefully you got something out of this. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Lord, we just pray that, um, you know, the listeners got something out of this, Lord. We pray that if anyone isn't saved, that they'd come to know you, Lord, and they'd embrace the forgiveness that you give. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, don't forget, if you want to be one of one of the people that gets the very first free copy of a hand-typed, on a t- real typewriter, um, copy of a true crime story from Mrs. Monica Dent herself, the fifth person to email me a question, thoughts while I drive to work at gmail.com, all one word, no spaces, no caps, will receive theirs in the mail for absolutely free. Um, again, include your address. All right, thanks guys. Bye.